The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 146 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm your host, George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed at the shore of my own and not my present or past employers. I've never disclosed any sensitive intelligence that I've been privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I will never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government, and nothing I say during this show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I remind our listeners that you can go online at the Cybersecurity Hub and read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, www.cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, to check out a recap to tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news, go to the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at CSHUB.com. Well, after setting two more records for listeners in the months of May and June this year, we have another interesting guest for you this evening, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy the show. The co-founder of Orca Security, Mr. Avi Shua, is going to be here with us for this episode. Avi has more than 25 years of experience in the cybersecurity industry, and prior to co-founding Orca Security, He was the chief technologist at Checkpoint Software Technologies, where he built and scaled cybersecurity solutions that continue to protect thousands of people today. Before joining Checkpoint, Avi held key positions within Unit 8200 of the IDF, that's the Israeli Defense Force, uh, which holds some similarities to the NSA in the United States. And if you're a listener to this show, you've heard us talk a lot about 8200, and we have several guests that were former members of 8200 on the show before. And from our listenership, we know that you've got a great deal of interest in what that unit does, as well as some very interesting and talented people who are former members of, of that team. So that's why we know you're going to be very interested in everything that Avi has to say this evening. So it's time to welcome to the show the CEO and co-founder of Orca Security, Mr. Avi Shua. Avi, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. Nice to enjoy being there. Thanks for having me. Hey, I'm all jacked up to have you tonight uh, on the show because uh, people just find uh, the 8200 organization very interesting. It's sort of uh, mysterious and, uh, and, and obviously it gets a, an enormous amount of respect in the cybersecurity world. Um, we've interviewed several cybersecurity professionals from uh, the, the 8200 unit and on this show. And uh, we found out a lot about what goes on there that we didn't know. And we hope uh, to, to continue that here tonight. I know there's some things that you won't be able to tell us, but hopefully um, uh, we'll be able to uh, talk about some things uh, and get that information out to our audience. Can, can, you, can you tell me briefly, in, in your words, what, what is uh, the 8200? Can you describe the 8200 unit? And, and, and I want to get into how you found your way there, because that's one of the more interesting things that people want to talk about. 
Sure. So really, it's an amazing place. I think one of my best years were when I was in the unit, both the soldiers, the commander also later on instructed in a course, uh, having young cadets like I was a few years before and uh, transforming kids that are excited about this subject into cybersecurity experts. Uh, unit 8200 is a the very large unit out of the Israeli intelligence, uh, the Israeli uh, military intelligence. For some kind of, uh, you know, you can look at it like the Israeli NSA. But there is one major difference, that the vast majority of the people that get to the unit are essentially teenagers, 18 years old, that simply finish their high school, go uh, get to some challenge. Uh, interviews uh, to a process that they are found to be fit to become trained and become part of that. So it's not like you get people who, the vast majority of the people are not people who finished advanced degrees that are already have been, became experts, but people that uh, the unit believe that they have the potential to become expert in this field. And I think that this is one of the great thing about how it about why it's becoming so successful. Let me tell you a very funny short story about how I got there. Yes, yes. Uh, many do. times I tell it to friends about, you know, how sometimes a very small decision that happens to you in your life literally changes your life one side on another, and you'll never think about it in real time. Uh, when I was 16, I was, uh, I, uh, I took uh, classes of robotics. We were in a uh, part of an international robotics competition, and there's the finals that took place in uh, Tel Aviv. Uh, and at the same day, I was invited to, a, a, let's say, an orientation day or quiz day for the army. As you may know, every Israeli when he's 18 years old go to the army. And as a 16 years old, you don't really understand the implication of what you're doing. So I got this invitation, and it happened to be at almost the end of the day when I had the robotics competition. And it wasn't clear to me whether I can fit both. So I literally told myself, if I'll make it and if the traffic won't be too hard, I'll go there. If not, not a big deal. I don't really know what it is about. I'll go to something else in the military. The, the competition finished on time. The traffic wasn't too bad, and I literally reached, I think, two minutes before uh, the doors were closed and I was missing it. And essentially, I got into a quiz, answered a lot of questions, and voila, got an invitation to a course in Unit 8200. And this is how it all began. I was excited about cybersecurity before that. It's not that I haven't been interested in cybersecurity. In fact, since the age of 13, I've been looking at it, but it's not like I decided at the age of 16 that I'm going to be a cybersecurity expert. But after I got to the course, this became really one of the most uh, exciting things I could think of. And I, can, I would like even to tell you something really interesting that uh, you know I learned and I many times try teaching that I learned in the unit, which I think is the most best kept secret, but one that I can share. Interesting to you? Yes, please. I, 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 secrets are always <laughs> interesting to hear. But don't violate any rules. Don't give you trouble either. <laughs> yeah, no, don't, don't get me. These are secrets that we all used in the civilian worlds, and it will be very amazing because it's, it's very cliche but very true. I think that many, that most of the trainings and the 
university and the academies are focused on passing knowledge, on teaching you how to get answer to specific problems, but not how to find your own solution to problems. If you think about it, we are so much taught when we are in college, when you're in university, when you're in high school, there's a topic you need to learn. You need to learn what are the solution to that. If you are stuck, go search for a solution. Go search how other people have solved it. Maybe consult with your peers. And this is basically the way that almost all of the training I know uh, uh, do. But what we do in Unit 8200, and later on, by the way, I copied it. I've been also a decade in Checkpoint and started a training course for cybersecurity cadets there, is that you give young and capable people problems and tell them they need to solve them by themselves. And literally by themselves, but without consulting friends, without going searching for the answer in the internet, without asking how other people solve it. Literally go and you know train people to solve problem by themselves. It sounds so basic or simple, but we don't do it. There is very few times that I think people these days are told to go sit 10 hours, it's okay, it will take you five hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, doesn't matter, and solve this problem, find solution by yourself. And when you train people to think that way, you can get them to do amazing things after they reach the mindset of believing that they can do it which is a very tricky mindset because we are so used to, okay, we haven't succeeded for a few minutes, let's go Google that, let's go ask our teacher, let's go ask our friend. And you need to change the mindset to, no, I'm going to do that. And after you change this mindset, you can actually find solutions to problems that no one had a solution so far. You simply trained yourself into finding such solutions. Yeah, this is pretty interesting. I think it's also unusual. You really don't find this, especially in the corporate world. You know, solving problems alone, uh, I think, is uh, is foreign to uh, most people. I, I have a couple of questions, right? So, it, you're in the eighty two hundred unit doesn't bring in people that are already established, that already have master's degrees, that are experts in the field, that have all kinds of experience. They're bringing in young professionals that have potential. They have the potential to do amazing things and learn and learn everything that they need to teach them. How how often does that uh, strategy fail? When they, they does, is there ever a point where, okay, you know, and what percentage do you think fails? Like, is there like 10 or 20% of the people just don't make it? Because the vetting process has to be um, uh, fantastic, really, right? Because you're investing an enormous amount of time and effort and resources uh, into these people to train them. How often does that fail? And then the second thing I wanted to ask you is on this, um, you know, giving the, the, the person uh, the, 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 the problem to solve alone. Okay, here's 10 hours, solve this problem. Um, how often does that not work out too as well? And then what are, the, what, are the, what are the consequences, I guess, or what's the disposition of that? So first, I'll just question one of these things. Training does cost a lot, but it's not as you expect because the people that train are essentially the same people that went to these trainings two years ago. So it's not like you are, tra- it does take a lot of time, but it's very scalable. And also one thing that we did, by the way, I literally copied it. Many people called Israel the a cyber capital of the world. And I think it's true in certain areas because we copy paradigms uh, that worked, is that many times you don't bring teachers that will be full-time teacher for the entire career, but do it between positions. 
So it's very common to someone to have a position for two years, then go train a course of a few months, and then go back to a different position. Now, whether it is 100% success, definitely not. But the definition of failure, there's many definitions of failures. Not, any, not all of the graduate of, let's say, a course that have 20 or 30 people will be the top, you know, out of any group, there'll be 20 or 30, of 20 or 30 people, they'll be the top of the class, the middle, and the bottom. So, and sometimes the bottom won't uh, make it and won't go to the position that you expect. But it's not that, you know, I'll say that it's a very few percentage that don't reach the threshold that you'd like them to graduate from the course. But of course, people that graduate uh, diff have different characteristics, different skills. One of the things, by the way, that really made me super happy when I was a, a commander of one of these courses, which is like the head teacher, is that many times people have different skill sets that make them very good in specific subjects, but not in others. So you can have someone who, by let's say any objective measures was almost the bottom of his class, but you can find a, a position where in this position, they'll be top. Now, another thing that I failed to say is that many times uh, we used to think of ourselves in way of grading. What is the grade that you had at the end of the course? Did they get A, B, C? But what we also we many times do is we don't disclose grades. You are only graded based on how much you manage to improve based on your baseline. So it's not like you know that it's possible that someone, for example, based on the result in the test was the bottom of his class, but <laughs> we thought that he will be a great fit for a specific role. We never shared, he never knew that he was bottom of the class by the objective means, but for this role, he was an amazing fit. So, and by the way, many times, they're managing to progress. And so it's not like, you know, that you are top, medium, or part of your class while you're in training. So are, are they, but are they graded on the progress that they make? I mean, the, you know, the distance that they're able to cover from when they started to when they're, they're currently at, do they get that grade or how does, how do you give them that feedback? So you feel you provide them the feedback based on how well they've done compared to the goals that each one of them got personally about what do you believe that he can do, what are, and at certain points, you also start to create specialization to understand this person is going to be a great uh, researcher in this area or will be more developer type or more of an analyst type. So you try to, you start to create specialization in a certain time of the training. Now you ask, by the way, uh, also on what percentage of the cases you fail? you get a 10 hours, 12 hour, maybe a week, and later it can be a month task that there is no clear guarantee that it will be a solution and you'll succeed and you expect it to succeed. So in the, naturally in the vast majority of the cases you fail. This is, you know, when you are trying to do stuff that there is no uh, answer, I'll say 90, 95% of the cases you fail and it's completely fine. You're trying to solve a problem that doesn't have a solution. But you must be programmed and believe that you'll succeed. Because if you won't do it, there is no chance that you'll do that. You and know, it's funny, that you, you, it's funny that you mention this because this is not a completely foreign, um, you know, strategy to uh, American government institutions. Uh, I know when I was in the Secret Service, they paid attention to, uh, in the Secret Service Academy, they paid attention to, you know, how much you improved. 
where you started and then where you are now, right? So, you know, you'd run the mile and a half on your first day um, and do a whole bunch of things and get tested. And, and like, if friend, I'm just using the mile and a half as an example. A lot of guys didn't go out and push themselves on that first day because, you know, if you're running a mile and a half in 10 minutes and then, you know, six months later, you're running a mile and a half in 10 minutes, uh, you didn't get too much credit for that, right? And so, um, uh, you know, I know, I, 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 you know, guys were like, you know, you know, kick it back a little bit, you know, <laughs> downshift a little bit. When it, does that happen too? Do people, because I mean, if you're getting rewarded for the amount of progress that you make and not your, you know, your actual score, which you don't even know, um, how does that go over in, in the unit? I mean, does that create animosity or how does that work? And so first we are talking about people that are 18 years old. They are not that, that complex or complicated in terms that they'll try to manipulate the system. But remember okay. that it's, it's very personalized in an area that each person, I think that everyone always trying to do their best because at the end of the day, this training is a gift. It's time that you take out of everything else to learn and become an expert in an area that you want to be. And you get a lot of support. You get a lot of mentorship. There's mentor meetings every few, every two days approximately. So you do try to become the best in the areas that you need support. You need to improve. So I haven't seen something like someone who show, you know. And by the way, the, I'll just tell you another funny story. Sometimes people become so capable that we needed to create new exercises for them. What we many times did is that there is no, you get, when you get exercises in a topic, if you finish, you always get the next one. You'll never be in a situation where uh, you don't have a subsequent one, so you will never feel that you can't improve. And some people become such an expert in a topic that they literally exhausted the set of exercises that we had. So we had to create uh, problems for them. And sometimes we try to create unsolvable problems simply because, you know, we didn't add any more exercises to them. And there are cases that they solved it. There's people who literally got, a, you know, as a training assignment, try and hack and find vulnerability in this system where we didn't knew there is a vulnerability in it. We just took the best of breed system and they found. That's pretty amazing. So, yeah. That's a pretty amazing outcome, right? You give somebody a solution that's, that you think is unsolvable and they find maybe – uh, maybe maybe they solution it or actually find a different problem that was that yes. no one knew about, right? That's a that's pretty amazing, right? I mean, but you have to pick the right people to do this kind of thing. I mean, I'm sure that they, there's a there's a process that is extremely tedious and and structured, right? To uh, try to get this type of talent in there. I mean, what are some of the lessons Definitely. that you learned from your experience there? What help? I mean, I, I, a lot of guys that come out of this group seem to be creating their own companies. I mean, you're a co-founder of uh, Worker Security, as I mentioned before in the beginning of the show, uh, and you founded the company. What, what, uh, wh why is that? I mean, is it just the type of people that's being attracted there to that? They're in innovative, they're entrepreneurial. Is it something that's taught or is it something that's innate in the people that are recruited in there? And what did you take away? So first, I think the most important thing I took is the belief that if you, if you define yourself a problem, you'll find a solution. And you must believe, I'm not a huge believer, I'm not a religious person, but I use this word believe intentionally because when you take hard challenge upon yourself, in order to have any chance of succeeding, you must believe that you'll find a solution. And you must define what the challenge is and don't be afraid to take too big challenge. Let's take a dive into Orca and I'll share a bit about 
what is the challenge that we tried to solve? So uh, I've been, I and additional few, uh, seven co-founders, we started Orca after we were in Checkpoint, I was in Checkpoint for 11 years. And naturally in this, uh, in such company, I was the chief technologist for the last few years. I was very familiar with the markets, but I knew that the cloud security market, there was no solution that I felt that is good enough. And I use these vague terms uh, deliberately. So I remember myself, you know, it's funny because it was, uh, I can remember the day I was sitting on the beach in Tel Aviv port, January, January in Tel Aviv is wonderful weather. And I was thinking, what is the characteristic of an ideal cloud security solution? And I use this word deliberately, ideal, something that I would like to have if there's no limitations, if I could get whatever I want. And then I thought that there are several characteristics for such a solution for assessing the risk in cloud environments. Let's think that you have a cloud environment and you want a solution that will help you find the risk. First, you want to know all of the risks. It sounds, uh, it sounds simple, but you don't want to have seven solutions. You don't, I have never met a security professional tell me I want to see control level risk, but I don't see workload level risk. I want to see vulnerabilities, but I don't want to see authentication problems. I want to see the risk. I'm responsible for managing the risk. I want to see all of the set of the risk, even if I don't know how to enumerate them. I want to see it for all of my environment. If the solution can detect it only for 50 or 70% of the environment, naturally it's not good enough. Well, no, the attackers love, simply love to take, to use the rest of the environment that you haven't secure. And so you need to have it in a complete comprehensive way. You want to be able to deploy it without becoming the enemy of everyone in the company. If you need to cause people to change the way they work, to do things for you in order to even see the risk, it's simply not going to happen. Friction is valid in organization, especially between development team and security teams. You need to be able to do your job without causing others to, uh, to be angry at you, so to speak. And last but not least, I, I don't have anything to do as a practitioner with 10,000 alerts. I need to have a manageable number of alerts, humanly manageable, that are prioritized based on my environment. So if you look at these four characteristics, I need to see all of the risk, I need to see it for all of my environment, I need to see it in a way which doesn't create friction and prioritize and contextualize against my environment. This, I looked and I saw that there's absolutely no other solution that does that. There's some solutions that are deep but create required tons of friction. There are other solutions that are very slick and easy to integrate, but they are very shallow. They detect a very small part of the risks. There's no solution that does it all. And when I did and understood why we reached that, I understood that everyone and literally everyone in this industry simply reiterated what we had on the physical world. Think about it for a second. When you try to secure a physical machine, a physical data center, you don't have a lot of options. This is a physical box in a data, a data center. You either run a piece of code on it, you install software, or scan from the network. Physically, you can't do anything else. It's a box in a different room. So everyone in the, all of the industry evolved to use these capabilities to run either in an endpoint-based solution or network-based. But I thought to myself, you know, we're in a different world today. This is no longer a physical machine. These are virtual machines. Maybe there is a different way to do it. Maybe there is a way to 
make to create a solution that fits all of these capabilities. And the, the funny thing is that when I thought that we are going to do that, I literally didn't add any clue about how a technology can be created to do that. Literally, I have absolutely no clue. I have absolutely no reason to believe that the other 40 companies that exist in the space haven't went to this specific mindset and reached the conclusion that you need to choose how to settle, whether you settle on uh, the depth or you settle on the friction. So, but I knew that the only way is that you must believe that there is one. If you just assume that if there was a solution, someone else would have found it and the compromises that exist are due to the fact that this is the entire set of capabilities, you won't be able to innovate. So we, we went, we decided a few people that we were going to research to find a way and we simply looked took the time till we understood the days away that we were simply overlooked. And this is what we started Orc on. And we call it side scanning. This is the technology that we created. Uh, by the way, like many other technologies, after you tell the way it works, it sounds very simple. But you need to think out of the box in order to create it. Yeah, so I, I, I want to ask you, obviously, the reason why you created your own security company is because you have a desire to solve big problems and 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 you have the ability to do it as well but so what was your role at at 8200 like what did you do there so i can't speak naturally too much on what i did it went to many uh, many positions as a as a developer in part in the cyber offensive uh, department to a team leader to a project leader uh, for for some time, uh, I started a project that uh, we was let's put it that way. I was the team leader of the first version, currently few hundred that led it with very few people, and now it's managed by hundreds of people. Uh, but I, I definitely can't talk too much about what we did over there. So did you receive any awards over there? Because I know that handing out awards over there, and it's fine if you didn't, and I know, and I'm, you know, probably should have uh, know this beforehand, but it's, uh, it's really hard to get recognized over there. They just don't pass out, you know, awards over there. So I did got, you know, I got a few, I got bought the, the head of the intelligence prize for innovation and the project that they led, and later on, he got the Israeli National Security Award, which is Israel's most prestigious uh, award for projects. You know, most of the projects that get it are classified, but some are not. So I can name others that got this award that are not classified. So uh, they're the Iron Dome and the Israeli Hetz, the, anti, the anti-missile. These were two other projects that got the same award. Wow, that's amazing. It's amazing. Look, we got to take a short break here, but we'll be right back, folks, with a lot more to come on this episode of Task Force 7 Radio. If you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be immediately connected to the extended TF7 family. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring this show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email me directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at TF7. That's with the number 7, radio.com. I want to remind our audience that we're building the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, Task Force 7. I'm really excited about this, folks. Tune in over the next several months for more information on this much-needed and much-awaited-for network. 
We're going to solve some problems together, I promise you. Task Force 7, get in the fight. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with our special guest, the CEO and co-founder of Orca Security, Mr. Avi Shua. Whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Synet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Synet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Synet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Synet, S-I-N-E-T. You can't see it. You can't smell it. You can't taste it. But it can bankrupt your company. It's internal risk. Insider fraud, ethics violations, and remote workforce risk have plunged many a company into reputational crisis. Don't be one of them. The corporate investigative team at Bluecoat have managed cybersecurity and risk mitigation in the White House, Silicon Valley, and everywhere in between. To see how Bluecoat can help protect you, visit TrustBlueCoat.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. 
Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, former 8200 member and CEO and co-founder of Orca Security, Mr. Avi Shua. So, Avi, a lot of people that make the transition from government uh, to the private sector have some difficulty. Um, not everyone, but certainly some people find it to be a great challenge and quite frankly, just don't make the transition. What are some of the important soft skills that you think you learned serving in the army and the military that helped you advance your cybersecurity career as an entrepreneur and in the corporate world um, and just to be able to operate in, in that world in general? Uh, thanks for the question. Great question. I think, you know, I've been, my career is not a standard one in terms that I have been a, a lot of time in the army and then started a company by myself. In fact, after a lot of my friends, after they finished their service in the intelligence, went and started their companies. And I thought that, you know, I've been in the army and the army is very, very different from the business world and I need to learn. And uh, this is why I start. I went to Checkpoint. I've been there for 11 years, took uh, quite a few positions from team leader, uh, group manager, R&D director, and chief technologies before I started my own company. And I think that the army teaches you very well how to solve things. It teaches you amazingly well the technology and how to be able to solve problems, but it doesn't teach you the, the organizational problem, the organizational, the people's problems. When you're in a government, uh, a, you know, army intelligence position, it's much, I'd say, easier to tell people what they need to do. It's much easier to make a decision compared to corporate where there's many more people, there's many more, uh, many different motivations. And I'll take a few examples. You know, uh, one thing that I learned in my uh, career is how hard is intra-organizational friction. It sounds, you know, uh, almost unbelievable to someone who was only a cyber expert, but for large organizations, coordination between two teams, even if technically they just need to do very small changes together, can take months. You can wait months in order for the male uh, security team to do changes that will allow uh, the, the email server to, wait, to work in a, diff in a specific time. Or it can literally take years and not happen if the security team require the endpoint administrator to install a set of software. And it's not because organizations are bad. It's because there's many people are involved. There's a lot of different motivations and that there's a lot of conflicting priorities. And I think the, the most important lesson that learned is that you must build the technology in a way which is digestible to real human beings. Real human beings that have other things to do, not ones that, I'll say, uh, working in an intelligence agency, and if there's a project that is top priority, all of the organization can start focusing and do what they need to do tomorrow, because this is not how a business-oriented organization usually work. So, a lot of entrepreneurs out there struggle with, you know, getting funded and they're very interested in how to start a company and who to talk to and get the right investors. 
In your case, uh, Silicon Valley CISO Investments, the SVCI, invested in Orca Security. So can you explain the significance of, the, uh, of this group of CISOs in Silicon Valley, what their mission statement is, and how you thought that was a good fit for your company? I think that's a very interesting topic. It's definitely a very unique case. Uh, Orca's fun, uh, funded both by Wild Ventures, GGV Capital, which both are well-reputable VCs, but also with SVCI, which is a small syndicate of CISOs who put their own money into the syndicate and, you, and fund companies that they believe in. And literally as an entrepreneur, I couldn't uh, think of a better vote of confidence. The reason is, at the end of the day, when VCs invest, they don't invest their own personal money in most of the cases. It's not someone who took his life, his life saving and invest in something he believe in. He believe in the company, but it's money that he manage. SVCI is a group of practitioners who know the, the exact problems that we are aiming to solve and put their own money. And more important than money, they're advised in time. And this is the most important thing. And I can give you a real case. We have um, where the involvement with the SVCI was super beneficial for us. So our solution is 100% SaaS. This is great because you don't need to manage, maintain, and uh, you can just click and run it. But for larger, more regulated uh, organization, it's more concerning because they want to be in better control of the solution they use. Now, uh, when we presented it to customers, it was hard to get to the larger, more regulated customer initially. It was hard to get to some ops. They couldn't accept it to a certain extent or never to explain why. But when I discussed it with some of the peers of SVCI, we had a very, very long discussion from people who were in this position themselves about how they think of the problem. And we had an open discussion about the pros and cons of each limitation and how it can fit and how we can make the product as great as possible while complying with the very rigid requirement. This was literally at a shared Slack channel. I counted with almost 100 messages and some of them were uh, in a few paragraphs long. And after this discussion, I was able to tune the product to change it in a way that is still providing the value, but also can work within the frameworks and limitation of very large and regulated environment. And it took very little time, literally months, uh, one or two months since we had this discussion till we're able to deploy it within better within one of the world's largest organization now bought it. So the fact that you have investors that actually have these problems willing to take a step in and walk with and be involved is, is literally amazing. I couldn't anything, ask for anything more than that. So what advice do you have to people who are going into a seed round uh, or, or initial funding round? Uh, what are some of the lessons that you learned? And can you, give it, can you give any advice that you think is paramount to the whole process that could really help somebody that's out there trying to start their own business? I'll give one, uh, one advice that I think it might be cliche or simple, but literally focus on understanding why your solution 
is order of magnitude better than the existing ones. At the end of the day, you can't change a market if your solution is marginally better. There are so many reasons to fail if you just create the same thing a bit better. It's easy to fail because you know people are used to the existing product, there's switching cost, there's brand, there's a lot of reason for someone to stick with whatever exists, even if there's something which is a bit better. If you want to make an impact, you need to understand how you are solving a problem dramatically better. At the end of the day, it's not like uh, the investors uh, believe, will believe a lot in your plan and how much you'll sell. Excel sheet absorbs everything. You can put a plan that will look amazing, but it, there is no guarantee that it will happen. The only thing that every guarantee is if you're able to solve real problems in a materially better way than everything that exists today. If you know how you're able to do that, the rest will simply happen. All right, Avi, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with our special guest, the CEO and co-founder of Orca Security, Mr. Avi Shua. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with our special guest, the CEO and co-founder of Orca Security, Mr. Avi Shua. So, Avi, you got a lot of experience uh, mitigating risk in cloud environments. I know that Orca Security mitigates lateral movement risk in, in public cloud environments. Could you explain the difference between detecting actual lateral movement and detecting the risk of lateral movement? Sure. Uh, very simple. Let's say that you have a house and you have uh, all of your internal doors are all wide open and someone who managed to get into the front door can move freely. This is a risk of lateral movement. You know that the environment is not secure without seeing an attacker going in. And it's essentially the same. We've detected the risk of lateral movement. At the end of the day, you know, any sane security strategy must assume that an attacker will get old in the environment. You don't want it to happen, but you must assume that it will happen. They'll manage to breach a service that has been neglected, find a zero-day vulnerability, whatever. And the question is, let's say you, you breach the machine, what do you find in it that allow you to laterally move? If, for example, you find within this machine the admin credential to all of the environment or a trusted key that can be used all over, this is a risk of lateral movement. It means that there is no good internal segmentation that once something is breached, everything is breached, compared to a much better situation where if a workload is breached, some data might have been lost, but not all of the organization data. So what our main focus in detecting the risk of lateral movement is to identify cases where there is not good internal segmentation and there are secrets that can allow an attacker once he managed to get hold of the environment, to get the to to reach the clown jewels, uh, so to speak. Yeah. Do you think that um, companies um, right now that you deal with are practicing good logical and physical segmentation? So everyone tries. You know, at the end of the day, people are trying, but there are too many mistakes. And I think it's super important to make sure that there are tools and ways to detect these mistakes. You might have a very good segmentation, and at the end of the day, if two people or two machines that due to their role have full access to everything within the environment, and you not un- and you not un- uh, without understanding that these are the weak links that might be an IT or a monitoring solution that you gave due to the way it works, full permission across the organization. And if this is getting breached, the attackers get access to all of the environment. You know, it's not the exact same area, but look at the Twitter, which just happened. At the end of the day, 
it was a bit very similar internal bitch to specific individuals that either got hacked or got socially engineered or got bribes. I don't, it doesn't care. But once they got breached, the attacker managed to get all of their capabilities, managed to do whatever they wanted to do. And this is the definition of improper internal segmentation. A single breach allows catastrophic results. And generically, it's the same all over. You can't just assume that you have proper segmentation. You must be able to test for it and verify. And what are the implications if specific uh, assets are compromised, whether the assets are com public cloud instances or people? So in the instance of, of Orca Security, how does Orca Security, you know, uh, how do they scan the entire cloud account in a holistic manner so that you get an end-to-end view of everything that's going on? So what we understood at Orca is that the cloud is no longer physical machines. We used to think of physical machines as the only way, but this is only a metaphor that we use in the cloud. All of the workload are virtual assets walking on top of the virtualization environment. So we leverage the ability to read the data out of the virtualization environment into building a model and understanding your environment in a touchless manner. Some of our customers compare to an MRI, so to speak. You know, when you go to an MRI, nobody stacks a needle in you. They don't ask you how you feel. They use an out-of-band channel to understand where the particles of your body exist and use that to have a model and probe that without in a touchless manner. We do exactly the same for the cloud. We use an out-of-bed channel that allows us to understand everything that happens inside. And due to that, we're able to understand the risks, not only in any specific part, but in all of the environment in a more holistic manner. All right, Avi, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for spending some time with us, uh, answering my questions. And uh, you know, it was a great conversation. I can't wait to have you back. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, it's time to go. But before we do, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub to read a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at www.cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 